Hi, this is Matt, and you're listening to Bluegrass Jam Along, the podcast for anyone and everyone who loves bluegrass. My guest on Bluegrass Jam Along this week is Missy Rains, who is probably the most decorated bass player in the history of IBMA. Um, singer, songwriter, band leader, and has a new album out called Highlander, which I'm delighted we're going to chat about tonight. Missy, welcome to Bluegrass Jamalon. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. I've been looking forward to this. Um, I've been listening to your record for the last couple of weeks, and it's always great to talk about a record that I like, but I also love it when you get sent a bit of blurb through with the record to give you a bit of context. And there's a beautiful thing in there that I'd like to just read out and and sort of talk about if that's okay and it says if music can be a place then bluegrass is also where I grew up and my favorite vantage point standing gently on the shoulders of its tradition from here I feel a connection to my roots from here I can see the whole world from here it feels like I've come home and that's that's a glorious thing and just the idea of this record as a homecoming there's there's so many things that makes me think about from the journey you've been on to come home from, to what coming home feels like, to, you know, uh, all of that. And and bluegrass, I guess maybe a place to start, because bluegrass is a world you grew up in. Um, and as somebody who comes from outside of the world of bluegrass, I find it fascinating talking to people who've never not known it. And that's certainly been your case, hasn't it? It is. And this, this, this album uh, has been bit of a journey for me in so many ways and um it does feel like a homecoming but on the other hand I've I never really left to begin with so there's there is that but um yeah I have been uh endlessly reconnected with um some of my my most favorite memories and and times growing up um, when I was just first hearing bluegrass uh, through the process of making this album, through the process of actually having just this band and touring with this band and coming up with material, coming up with songs, um, just, you know, getting in touch with um, all the things that mattered to me most. It, it was sort of like I, I started to uh, process um and really, uh, you know, examine the sounds that meant the most to me with bluegrass because bluegrass is such a, it's it's a it's a wide it's a wide uh, field, you know, to me. And um, I've I've said before, you know, I see it through a very wide lens, uh, but there are certain sounds of, of, that are associated with it that I connect completely and and deeply to. Um, when uh, the sounds that I heard when I was a kid, when I was first hearing it, and those feelings that you get when you're hearing something for the first time, and it's and it's moving you so passionately. Um, so I've been reliving a lot of that, and it's and it was it's been amazing. It's also something that just happens like almost every night. Then when we're out touring, because it's it's um. Uh, you know, I'm playing with these these amazing players who uh, have you know sort of studied at, and and are really honoring that tradition in the fullest sense. And I love that. This the idea of like a homecoming 
to a place that you sort of never left at all like the idea that you can go on a journey of all like physical journey you know you moved away from home to be part of the music world you know a musical journey away from the roots of some of it to, and the whole journey you go on to find yourself where you are and you've sort of never been anywhere and yet you've been everywhere at the same time and there's so many lovely thoughts within that you know and that the idea of and, and I guess there's I find it I'm really interested in the idea of um your musical journey particularly from being a bass player through to being a singer songwriter and band leader and the layers and kind of timelines of all of that feel like it's something that's developed over quite a while for you oh it really has um you know I saw myself for years as as a bass player and um and that was very fulfilling and um I enjoyed it immensely. I enjoyed being uh, that that sort of, you know, uh, typical place sort of in the back of the state, you know, behind three or four or five people and like being back there and sort of holding up the the fort, so to speak. And I still love that. I love that position. <laughs> um, I actually love that more than I love being in the front. Uh, but I recognized that there was so many things that I wanted to express musically, um, thoughts I had, ideas, um, and that I knew that I needed to move up front in order to have the opportunity to do those things. Um, but oh yeah, like if I could have, if I could do all of this from the back row, <laughs> I would do that in a heartbeat. And are there, are there many sort of like role models for bass player band leaders over the years? It seems to be a relatively uncommon thing compared to some of the other instruments. Yeah. I mean, within the bluegrass world, I don't know of any. <laughs> I'm not thinking of like bass player uh, who, who have, who have definitely just gone out. There's some great bass players who sort of front, uh, well, the person I think of most, uh, the first time every, every time is like Wayne Taylor, Blue Highway, who's sort of the one of the main singers of, not the only, but one of the main singers of that band and always standing in the middle and they all stand in, in, a, in a row. Mm. Um, and he was actually one of the first people that I remember hearing, um, you know, in that setting where I, I like, he, he was such, such a good, great player, uh, but such a great singer. And it was just, it was holding the band together in, in a way that was really aspiring. Um, but yeah, for me as a, as a young girl, um, playing bass, I saw other bass players. I saw other women bass players, uh, Ruth McLean, Cheryl White. They were huge uh, inspirations to me, um, but they were part of a, of a band. And they, and um, then through the years, of course, uh, there were, there were several women leading bands, but they weren't playing bass. So that, that it was, yeah, it, it, and I will say that 
being a bass player and trying to sort of lead a song. I mean, everyone, the cliche is that, oh yeah, the bass player sort of leads everything. Everyone follows the bass player. I haven't always found that to be true. (laughs) 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 And, and I, and I, I I guess I would say that like, I think in, from a musical situation, it's, it's, it's a lot easier to lead a song in a way if you're playing particularly an, a guitar. Um, I mean, because the guitar speaks the chords so much better and gives the idea, gives, it paints the picture that you're trying to, um, uh, you know, express with the song. So like if I'm playing something and I'm, I'm like, it's in G minor and I play a G (laughs) because I have one note (laughs) to express that G minor. Nobody can hear that. Uh, And, you know, unless the guitar is playing that chord or, or someone else is playing that chord, but the guitar I think speaks it the best. So uh, it makes sense why there's so many leaders of bands who play guitar (laughs) and not bass. Well, I mean, I went to see the Transatlantic Sessions tour over here at the weekend, and Daniel Kimber is playing bass with them. And Jerry Douglas brought him out front for a song for him to sing it, and it was just him and Jerry. And watching a bass player kind of accompany a song with only other, one other instrument, like, is, it was a fascinating thing to see. Yeah. Yeah, you know, well, just he's fantastic. Yeah. And I think that one of the things that helped me prepare for this role was um, – I spent about eight years touring with a great guitar player named Jim Hurst and he and I did uh toured as a duo. And that was my introduction into being up front, being, um, uh, you know, one of the main singers. And uh, that opened up when it's just two instruments, the bass and, and another instrument, there's so much room, so much, so much space, to do things that I would never normally do when there are more instruments to fill up that space. So it gives you all this uh, leeway to do and uh, what you want. Um, And so that was a great experience working with Jim and being able to um, just explore that kind of space. But then, you know, going in reverse, coming out of that and, and being in a five piece band, my, I feel like my role is completely, completely different um, in terms of what I play, or at least uh, how many notes I play. Yeah. And the more people you've got, all sort of different channels of communication are going on at any time. And, you know, if there's two of you or three of you, you can little nod or, a, you know, an eye movement and you can take another direction. But with five people, it's harder to steer that kind of thing, isn't it? Can be. Yeah. And I find it, what you were just saying about if you could do it all from the back of the stage, you would. I find that fascinating because that sort of implies a little bit of tension in there between wanting to be out there expressing something and also wanting to not be out there expressing something at the same time, which sort of tells me that, you know, with these songs and, and sort of fronting a band, you know, the, you really want to be there. Yeah. And I think I think it just comes from... I so much of what I do, I, it feels very collaborative. And so that's, that's definitely the mindset that I came into the music uh, with from a very young age was that um, I saw the bass as a very collaborative instrument. And I, 
what I enjoyed about it was how I could make everyone else sound good. And um, now I didn't, you know, when I was really young, I of course was trying to play everything I knew. So <laughs> I wasn't always, uh, that's, I, I didn't, I didn't start out with that kind of maturity uh, thinking about how I can make everyone else sound better. But I, I did grow into that. Um, and that was part of the, the lure for me. And um, as I developed um I, my, the, my maturity and the music, then it was like, oh yeah, this is, if I do this, it makes everything sound really great. So this, it's that collaborative um, point of view. And I think that that's part of what I love about being behind somebody else and just sort of watching them, you know, do something and then imagining what we can do to raise that up. But when you're in the front, and you have people who are thinking that same way behind you, that's a great feeling too. I mean, I wouldn't give that uh, for anything because that's the best feeling in the world when you're, when you're out front and, but you're being lifted by the other players. Um, it feels great. And you can, and having a, a chance to say or do what it is that you really want to say or do is pretty powerful. And so, and, and that was why I decided that I really needed to have my own band. Um, as I was hoping that I had enough, uh, enough create creative stuff to, uh, present to the world and, um, uh, enjoy doing it. Um, I, I was playing when I decided to start my first band, I was playing with Claire Lynch. Um, um, and I'd been working with her over the course of about 12 years and I loved her so much and, and loved her music. I learned so much from her. Um, and I really enjoyed being in the back of, of that band and, and, um, um, and I often joke that, you know, I, I walked away from a perfectly great job to, mm. to start a band <laughs> that re with really no uh, promises at all, like no guarantees that it was going to work or that anyone would care, <laughs> but I knew I had to do it. And it's interesting because just listening to this record, like the first thing that struck me about it was even though, there are lots of guests on it. There's songs that you've written, there's co-writes, there's songs other people have written, there's other vocalists on it. It feels like a band record from the start till the end. It doesn't feel like a collection of songs with mostly the same people on them. It feels like a band with other things brought in. And it's such Yay. a great sound. That's so great to hear because that is exactly what we wanted. Um, and and uh, I wanted that so much and... And I'm so glad to hear that, that it feels that way. And it, it feels that way from like the first, like that first mandolin kickoff that Tristan plays is so kind of such a statement of intent of like, here we come. Like it's, you know, that just that it's got such a directness to it. Um, and it's that you're in from the first bar. It's like, here we go. Come with us, you know. Um, and it's, it'd be really cool just for a minute to talk about the band, who you've got and sort of how that came together. Because I, I know Tristan already. I've interviewed Tristan before. He's, um, you know, a fascinating guy and a really good mandolin player. Um, but can you just sort of tell us who else you've got and how, how you sort of assembled that bunch of people? 
Yeah. Um, so on guitar is Ben Garnett and Ben and I have, have been playing together the longest of, of, of all of the band. Um, and he started playing uh, some gigs with me in uh, probably around 2017. And I was sort of in transition between uh, configurations and we were going out as a trio at that time. And I just, he's just amazing, an amazing musician and a, an amazing artist in and of himself. He has his own thing going, just uh, released uh, his first um, all original material album last year and has working on a new one this year. And he's just, um, I can't say enough about him um, and what he brings to this band. Um, his own music is, is uh, influenced maybe a little bit by uh, elements of bluegrass, but definitely not bluegrass. And, but what he brings to this band uh, is just uh, powerful. Um, banjo, Eli Gilbert. Um, and Eli, I I often say he just simply plays everything that I want to hear hmm. <laughs> on the banjo. Um, and, and I, I really, I really mean that. It's just like, he just has such a great sense of um, the, uh, what's needed in the songs that we're doing. Um, I, I really love the, 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 uh, has a, strong leaning towards a, a J.D. Crow approach, but it's very uh, also uh, um, fulfilled a lot with, you know, the Scruggs approach and, and all like all that, all those things combined. And at the same time, he's bringing his own voice through on the banjo. Um, so I think that's an amazing accomplishment. And um, I've just uh, really loved been loving playing with him um on fiddle and doing a lot of singing is ellie hawkinson and oh my gosh you know ellie has transformed this band in my mind because uh, she came in with her voice and um but not just her voice but her uh uh her ear and her um, uh, amazing ability to just sort of guide us, you know, uh, to create these great harmonies. Um, for me, singing was something that I didn't, I didn't actively pursue until much later in life. So I've, you know, so I haven't been singing really my whole life. I was singing, but I really wasn't. My heart wasn't really in it. I wanted to do it, but I hadn't figured out how how to make it my own. And so then, uh, you know, started making it my own um, and was making some progress. But then, like I said, with uh, having Ellie come in, she's got such a great voice. And singing with her has given me just an, an enormous amount of like a hit of of confidence really. Um, and I'm just happy that I was able to accept it and just, just go with it. Cause it just feels so great now to sing with her. 
Yeah, so I saw in the in the sort of the notes on the record that she sort of gets a credit for for vocal coaching for the band, you know. And I, uh, it's interesting to hear that. And because I, I was going to talk about your singing a little bit, because I I don't know if this will make sense to you or not, but your voice for me has a similar quality, and I don't mean like a a, a sound, but a sim- it reminds me of the way Doc Watson sings, and that you sing the way you speak and the way that Doc Watson does, and it just wow. feels so direct and unadorned. In a in a entirely positive way, it's there's, oh, no, you know, there's not that sort of the big. And I love all the country singing with the big swoops and the big, you know. But it it feels very like a very direct channel of communication, which is really nice. Well, thank you. Yeah, no, I I actually love hearing that. Um, that's it's taken me a long time to just find how that was going to work for me and. Um, yeah, that's that's just uh I knew when I was a kid that you know I would hear particularly women who were singing at the time uh you know singing is really high and and um you know uh, demonstrative voices and I I just couldn't relate to it cuz I, I I loved it but I knew that wasn't me and I just had to find find my my way of doing it so um and part of that was finding songs that worked for me and that's taken a long time still working still figuring that stuff out but folks like uh uh Lloyd Lewis has helped me a lot just actually um actually just talking to me about stuff like that and and um Dee Wyland has helped uh, so much in um, with that sort of thing, but it's really a lot of it has just been um, encouragement. Jim Hurst actually encouraged and you know helped so much with that that aspect of the singing. Just I think I think just creating a space where you feel safe to do something, and and you can explore, and then if you give yourself the time to do it, um, then you can find you can find your way, um, and that's what finally happened for me uh was just allowing myself uh to figure it out um yeah and i wanted to also say you know like we i didn't get to talk about tristan but (laughs) because um he's so incredibly important to the sound um not just because he's fantastic uh, player and as you say incredibly interesting person um but just the, even just the role of the mandolin for me that's one of the things that i think has been my uh, um uh, a keystone to everything that i've done in as a as my own artist um whether some might consider it like some of the things that i've done to be traditional bluegrass or not traditional bluegrass but the but the key, the thing that has always grounded me in those decisions has always been actually the instrument of the mandolin. So when I started a band uh, now back in 2009 called the new hip and um, besides me, the most important element of that band always in my head was who's going to play mandolin. What kind of style was the mandolin going to be? Because in my mind, bluegrass is Monroe centric. It's like, it's, it's always been about Mm. the mandolin player. 
And so for me, bluegrass is everything from Monroe to Sam Bush to David Grisman to, and now of course, you know, Sierra and Chris and all those, Chris Thiele. But that's, that's always been, those have been the center points for me. So in those early days, I chose people who played mandolins in a cert, mandolin in, in a certain style to fit the new hip music. Um, and then of course, in Allegheny, there isn't anybody else I'd rather have than Tristan. Absolutely. He just knows exactly what to play for this, this, what we're doing. He's just, he gets it and he gets it at such a, um, a level that, I mean, I don't, he's just so young. I don't know how he, how he does it, but he gets it. It's really funny. Cause I was going to actually ask about mandolin players just because sort of looking back through your records, you like particularly Jared Walker in the band and, Jared, like listen, listening to this record, and I was struck by Tristan. Like, there's a lot of tremolo and a lot of double stops, and Jared plays that way as well. And there's, there's a bit of a resurgence of that with people like um, Harry Clark from East Nash Grass, and um, and it, there's something incredibly rooted in that. And Tristan can obviously play lots of notes quickly and very cleanly, and all of that. But there's something about um, a that mandolin kickoff at the beginning of the record, but also just the the you know he plays like there's there's a real solidity to all of it, um, and it feels like a a very old fashioned yet modern sound. Like it's the phrase that we talked about at the beginning, standing gently on the shoulders of tradition. Like I get that in spades from Tristan. It's lovely to listen to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he, he gets it in. Um, uh, he has done done his homework so to speak uh because he's he's you know gone back and listened to those to those early masters um but he's still also innovating himself and i think i think that's the key it's like if you're you know there's a there's a lot of players out there um that their idea of like learning traditional bluegrass is is to just learn it from the bluegrass album band, um, you know, versions, which I love like those, mm. like that's, those are classic stuff and it's great. And I listen to it all the time. Those are masters playing that music, but they're that they are pay, paying tribute to something that came before them. And so if you go back and go to where they're, uh, who they are paying tribute to and actually spend the time with that stuff. That's when I think, um, that's when I think you get it at a different level. Yeah. It's funny. I, I love those bluegrass album band records, but I, I always feel they occupy the same space in the world of bluegrass that sort of Ella Fitzgerald and Frank Sinatra do in terms of jazz singing. And that those are like the, like the Ella Fitzgerald songbooks and some of the Sinatra stuff. But those songs already existed, and other people had sung them before. But there's this such such a kind of kind of flag in the ground, aren't they? Um, they and they are glorious records. Oh yeah, some of my absolute favorites, and and also, of course, you know the the people doing them, they're icons in and of themselves. I mean they they are they are the ones that you know they are also to be emulated, to be uh, you know aspired to their aspirational absolutely um but you know they were also playing 
Flat and Scruggs music, you know? So it's like, if you're, if you, you gotta, you gotta go back and check that stuff out too. Uh, mm. listen to them, you know, Curly Seckler, you know, singing and playing uh, as well. Um, and here, and you can hear, you know, why Doyle Lawson played a certain way it was because of something else. So it's just all, it's just, I mean, I, that's what I love about music. It's just this uh, process of handing, um, handing things down, uh, uh, hearing, hearing interpretations of stuff. And it's all, and it's also, it's all important. Um, so yes, I think everyone should listen to the bluegrass album bands. Absolutely. But I think they should also listen to what came before it as well. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's interesting. You were talking about sort of singing and discovering your voice and sort of allowing yourself because as somebody who's played music most of my life and I singing still terrifies me I totally understand that it's such it's the most vulnerable thing you can do because when you have an instrument that is also you there's sort of you know you can't there's nothing else to blame apart from you um, and I wonder whether that is all like whether this a similar journey with songwriting was is also about having the confidence to 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 know what it is you want to say and then say it because it's it's again a very personal thing isn't it Oh, it's incredibly personal. Um, and I think that, you know, confidence may, may be required, but I think really just, um, permission <laughs> is more required. Um, and just because, because confidence is something that you, you build, it's a layered process and it's something that you gain over time. Uh, but, permission something you can have right from the beginning to explore and to you know okay i'm just going to i'm just going to write this and it may or may not work this time but it's it's all part of it and it, and it's a practice it's like it's kind of like yoga it's like some it's not something that you're going to ever stop doing because oh i've reached i've written the best song in the world i mean that just doesn't exist mm -hmm. it's a practice it's something that you want to that you want to do um, uh, every, as much as possible every day. And, um, and you just get better at it. And for me, um, it's been a great way to deal with emotion, <laughs> you know, with, with, uh, stuff going on in my life. Um, it's a great way to process all of that stuff. Yeah. And so just looking at the you know, some of the songs you've written on this record, um, things like Looking to You, Are You Ready to Say Goodbye, kind of very, very sort of personal. Like both of those are about processing different kinds of things in your life. Um, and Who Needs a Mind, which is more of an external processing of, of a thing, like much more sort of societal, political kind of statement almost. But they're very, like they're, they're dealing with sort of big themes. Yes, but the thing that they all share is a personal uh, something that's that moved me personally, that made me want to talk about it. Um, that's the common thread with all of those songs. <clears throat> and then um, it, it was interesting to me uh, the, the other the other night we played our album release show here in Nashville, and mm. and um, we 
we did all the songs from the album and we did Are You Ready to Say Goodbye, which is basically a song that I wrote uh, because of the loss of my uh, my family and my siblings particularly. Um, and the, every line is like from a, based on a true thing that happened and the kind, some of it's kind of unbelievable actually. So it couldn't be more personal, but, um, I don't, I don't actually announce that when I perform it, um, for reasons I can talk about, <laughs> but the, somebody came up, you know, somebody said something to me that they thought that, that that song sounded timeless to them. And, um, I found a, a lot of, I, I thought that was pretty amazing because it was such a personal thing for me, but to, I was glad that I was able to make it not, not, it's not that it, you don't want it to be personal, but you want it to um, uh, be able to, to fit with um, as many different people as possible. Hopefully they can relate to it. Um, and uh it took me about five years to write that song, but that's probably because, well, it is absolutely because <clears throat> it's was incredibly personal. Um, so that made me um, just take a really long time to say what I needed to say. And then, and when it's, when you, when a song's done, it's like, you just know, you just know that it, it's, it, whether it's good or not, doesn't, that's not what you're measuring. It's whether or not you've said what it is that you needed to say. And then it's for, it's for other people to decide whether they want to hear it or not. Cause that doesn't even determine whether it's good. It's just, it's just whether or not people want to hear it. Yeah. And I had such a fascinating experience of listening to that song because um, for whatever reason, I ended up reading the liner notes before listening to the music i was just sort of flicking through going oh, who, who's in the band who okay i'm looking through the lyrics and and there's the lines that um and you pull them out at the end with this sort of dedication to your sister but hey sister hear the angels sing better get your suitcase packed don't fill it with any important things because you ain't coming back and and i immediately thought this would be a slow kind of quite lyrical quite you know elegiac sort of end of life song and then I heard it and it's the absolute opposite it's like a it's like a train song do you know what I mean it's like a traveling song and it's and I found that fascinating because it's a song about journeys finishing a journey which isn't really the end of a journey and and it has that it feels like a song with movement I know you just so presumed that a song about those kinds of things would be quite quiet and static and and it was such a it was just a really powerful experience hearing that and it was so unusual because I'd read the lyrics first and I love that it's like it's got this sort of journey element to it It feels like a traveling song if that makes sense I I actually love that um that idea I I call it (laughs) I call it my angry death song (laughs) (laughs) um and uh yeah there was never ever my, my intention for it to ever be sort of like like you say, sort of soft and angelic or whatever. No, because there was none of that going on in my, in mm. my heart. Um, and now, you know, Allison and I have, have, uh, she, she immediately loved when I p- 
pitched the song to her to record. She loved it. And then we ended up putting two banjos on it. Um, you know, like not just one, but two banjos. And, um, like she and, and Eli are both playing. Um, and so now we basically call it our angry death rock opera. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um, but it's interesting that, you know, I think somebody reviewed it recently and they referred to it as a, as a gospel song, which I, I, I kind of went, what? <laughs> and, but I, I totally understand why someone might think that, uh, but that's not, it's not, and it, and it doesn't bother me that someone thinks that, but that's not where I was coming from. It's more just a statement of, uh, uh, yeah, like we just don't, we don't get to we don't get to decide um well, i mean for the most part we don't get to decide when we when we walk away and um and that kind of sucks yeah yeah totally and you so you mentioned Alison and it's Alison Brown who produced the record um really interested to sort of hear what what that relationship was like in terms because produ- production as a term for a record can mean so many different things. It can be very hands-on, very hands-off. It can be motivation. It can be song selection. It can be arrangement. It can be all of those things and none of those things. I'm curious to sort of find out what, what, how you two work together. Oh, I, you know, I love working with Alison. This is my second time to, to work in a situation where she's producing. And, um, of course we've known each other for years and years, but, um, this is, um, and I've been on Compass Records for years, but uh, as I said, this is only the second time to work together in, in this capacity. And I enjoy it so much. She is, um, I, I think, well, honestly, Allison could, she could be any kind of producer. She could be an extremely hands-on producer, or she can also just sort of guide from 30,000 feet above and do it all like, really really well um in in this case um she we came in with us the songs she and i worked about uh talked about the song choices and i gave her a a few that i had pared down you know more than i knew we would need for the album and we discussed which ones were going to make it to the a-list and 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 then having been with her before I I told the band, I was like, you know, we have arrangements for these songs. And I think they were pretty great arrangements. We had been working on them for a long time. We'd been touring them out on the road, but I said, when we get in there, she's going to, she's going to offer some changes. Like she's Mm going to put these little tiny, like diamonds here and there, meaning not diamonds like Nashville speak of, but, but just like sparkle, she's going to, she's going to do stuff to it and it's going to make it great. Um, and I have no idea what it's going to be because she doesn't know right now what it's going to be. Cause that's how she works. She'll just like come in, she'll listen to it. But I, I don't know how much she, she thinks about it before getting into the room, but she does it every time and she'll, she'll just say, how about if we did? And then she has this great idea and it's, it's just this, usually it's just a minor change or maybe it's a just an addition to some to something that we're already doing um Mm. but it's always brilliant and but what i also like about her is that uh at least when i'm working with her you know if i say 
if I push back a little bit and say, no, I really think that, that, you know, I don't want to do this or I, I feel like that's kind of, or could we maybe do this instead? She's also very, um, very, you know, willing to just like, she, like she wants it to be, to represent me. Um, and so I, I so grateful for that, that she doesn't try to push something on me that, um, that, because in the, at the end of the day, even though, you know, she's producing at the end of the day, it's my name that's on it and that's coming out. So she, and she gets that better than anybody. Yeah, it's a fascinating role to play to kind of drag people out of their comfort zone without dragging them into your own as a producer and ending up sort of rewriting somebody else's story, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Like she has a way of of adding, uh, embellishing things. Uh, I've listened to lots of songs of other people that she's produced. Just a way of like embellishing what they're doing, making what they do stand out um, without it sounding like it was her. And, um, and, and she also pushes, uh, she pushed me, she pushed me on my last record, Royal Traveler um, in to the point, you know, push me meaning like just made me, made me do some things that were outside of my comfort zone, but, I went in with the, with the mindset that I was going to like, I was going to do it. I was going to go and do what she said because um, I needed to be pushed and I needed to to have that uh, challenge. And she did. And I was really grateful that she did. And, and in this case, she did it again. And she's always like, we need more bass on this. And I was like, no, we don't. (laughs) She's like, no, 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 we do. We need, you, you know, she's like, you're, you're 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 pretty well known for your bass playing. We need to put more bass on here. So I'm always the last one to think about that. Well, that's really interesting because you know, as a as a bassist who is a band leader in a genre that is known for showcasing instrumental ability, like knowing because there are lots of lovely bits. There's you know there's there's bass sort of solo moments, like for us, for example, on. Um, Oh, is it on Panhandle countries? There's a kind of more extended bit where it's a bit of interplay between you and the guitar. And there's a couple of other bits which are just very short bit or like a little bit of slap bass that just stands out on its own. Or And so the, there's there's lots of reminders that this is an album from a bass player, but there are no kind of 64 bar extended bass solos. Do you know what I mean? It's, and it's, that must be quite a hard balance to, to find, to re- constantly be reminded this is a bass led album without it becoming some sort of 70 minute jazz odyssey. Um, you know, to me, I, I feel like I can, I I'd like to think that I can shine as a player without having a solo. Um, and that's what I'm trying to do. Like to me, that's the hardest thing is to just to play behind it. Like I said, being that support playing the right notes, um, if I can do that really, really well, then I feel like I'm shining as a bass player. And um, uh, we did a, you know, I knew I was going to take a solo on Panhandle Country because we chose that song for um, for that. But um, 
a couple of those other songs where the bass got added, that was totally Allison. <laughs> that was like, she's like, oh, no, no, you need to take a solo on this. And I would have, I would have never thought of doing it on, on those songs, except for on you, Re- are you ready to say goodbye? That felt, that felt right. Cause that was, uh, again, emotionally, it felt like, um, it was a, it was a part of how, uh, of the expression of the song. And then it also on looking to you, um, I wouldn't have thought of putting a solo on there, but now I'm so glad every time we play it, I'm, I'm thrilled that I'm that we that we added that part with the solo because again it it is a, it's almost like a, it's a voice it's a it's another expression for me to to sort of you know it's a love song and and so it's a way for me to express that and so I'm really glad that we came up with that that uh and when I say we I mean Allison <laughs> but uh it wouldn't have been what I would have thought of on on my own I don't think because I'm spending so too much time just thinking about like I listen to this album and I listen to every single bass note and to me um that's a showcase for me is like making sure that every single note is as good as it can possibly be and in the right place oh my gosh timing you know it's got to be in the right place and if it's not in the right place why bother yeah, and it's interesting. I I can't remember where, if I read it or heard it in an interview with you a while ago, but you were talking about how you select people to play with. And obviously, they need to be good musicians and they need to be people that you can go on the road with and not fall out with. But the, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but what I remember you saying was that you used to give people the quickest tune there was as a way of... Te- and then you went, you sort of turned to giving them stuff with a load of space to see how they handled that. And that sort of really feels like it locks in with the idea of the supporting role and letting the playing, like in the context of the song, shine before worrying about what you then put on top of it. Oh, absolutely! Wow, I'm so I'm so impressed that you uh, remember that. I don't. Re- I remember saying this very very much, and um, I still believe it. And I I believe that that was a turning point for me as a band leader to when I discovered and and came upon that um realization that you know like i said i i had been giving potential uh you know players in the band like some complicated song to see if they could handle getting over the changes or whatever um and i but i but then i realized that what i really wanted was someone who could take a song and actually um get that there might need to be huge spaces in between the notes. And it wasn't about being a hot licks player. And I wasn't, I needed somebody who could play uh, technically have, have technical prowess, of course, but I really needed someone who had the maturity as a player to, um, to play the way I would want to express want to have my music expressed and that's way more important so i would go that route any day and so yeah when i finally learned that lesson that was a that was a big uh level up in band leading 101 for me it's really interesting with that just that theme of the supportive role of the bet like on your album as a band leader and a bass player, the idea that you're still thinking about 
primarily a supporting role. And I find that really interesting in context of there's so many guests on this record, um, you know, instrumentalists, but also people singing harmony, people singing lead. You've got some great vocalists and great fiddle players. And and it, it, not only that, I, I guess it's, there's something really interesting about making your record and creating a space on that for other people to shine, which is, is not always the case with singers. Oh, yeah. Again, though, it was it was a sort of a no brainer. We I knew I wanted um, to have guest singers on the record. Um, to me, it's an opportunity to, well, honestly, to, to learn from them and um, to stretch myself and to challenge myself. I, uh, but just. Also, it's it's kind of an indulgence because it's like these are my these are people that I truly love and and so I get to have them come and play on, um, and sing with me. The first person I thought of for this album was Danny Paisley. I you know I I knew that when I started thinking about that this band was the idea of this band was something that I really wanted to do, that it was what I was working towards um, as the next project for myself. This is all pre pandemic. Um, I, I knew that Danny, I needed to do a collaboration with Danny because that sound of Danny Paisley and his father before him, Bob Paisley um, and Ted Lundy, those, those, that sound was so uh, ingrained into that early memory I have of, of my, of, of, of bluegrass that I grew up on the mid Atlantic kind of approach. And, um, so I knew I wanted to sing with Danny and that was, that was really easy and boy, but what I didn't, I, I didn't take into account was how much I would learn from just singing with him. Oh my gosh. It, it, it truly was like, it was going to school and it was the best school ever. And, mm. um, but it was that way for, with, with Dudley and with Lori in, in very different ways, um, with Kathy as well. And, you know, Kathy Matea, Lori Lewis and Dudley Connell, all of like, so it was just, it was, it's really just pure indulgence, <laughs> <laughs> you know, just getting to sing with these people that are, that I felt really would make, um, make the sound that that I, the way I wanted it to sound for the for the uh, style of this record yeah and it, and it sounds there's there's a through line through all those tracks whoever's singing with you or whoever's singing kind of the lead boat you know there's such a it's all going back to what I was saying at the beginning really it sounds like such a band record um with all of that going on and and I think one of the things I really enjoyed about the whole, just the whole process of listening to this record and sort of reading a bit and thinking about it and that idea of what we talked about at the beginning about this idea of a homecoming. And there's something in the idea of traveling physically, spiritually, emotionally, experimentally with your music, whatever, and coming home that implies a sort of settling down and a sort of coming back to settle down, but talking to you about, becoming a singer, a songwriter, but it almost sounds like you're just getting started. Do you know what I mean? There's like, it's, it's a homecoming that is the kicking off point for a whole new, you know, it's, it's, it sounds like there's so much energy building behind what you're doing. It doesn't sound like a settling down energy in the slightest. 
I love hearing you say that because that's exactly how I feel. I'm so energized and I've, that it's absolutely not settling down in, in any way. Um, I'm already thinking about the next record <laughs> and, and, and I want it to be in this style. Like, you know, I, um, in, in the past I've, I've often looked at records as, Oh, what will I do this time? You know, kind of approach. And it might be, it might be kind of drastically different, but this time I know exactly that I want to make a continuation of this sound, uh, that we created here. And, um, yeah, no, it's, it's, I'm having too much fun. And is that, is that a sound that continues with this band, kind of the people you've got, you know, that's, that's the format for now? I hope so. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, um, and, and that's, you know, um, I think that, that, that feel is, I don't know. It, it just feels right. Everything, the sweet spot of, um, uh, of combining this sort of traditional sound with, um, hopefully something that I can offer like songs like, uh, are you ready to say goodbye or, or even, uh, look into you, which is a bit more on the contemporary side. Um, but, but still, to me fits within that, that parameter. And so I, I, I feel like, uh, I'm enjoying finding that, um, sweet spot and, and I've, I'm writing now that this record is sort of out and in the, into the world, I'm, I feel like writing again. I ha haven't had time to write, but I, uh, my head is clear enough now where I think I could actually start writing. And I've got a few songs that, I think would be perfect um, for this pro next project that, that I just need to sit down and finish. Um, so that feels really exciting when you, you know, uh, for me, I'm, I just have to have uh, enough headspace. Uh, I, I'm very linear. And so it's like, okay, I can't think about that until I do this. Hmm. Um, and so now that this, you know, we're in the stage of, of just getting the, touring the record and and all of the things are are done with uh making the music now it's time to to uh, play this music for the people but also to think about what's next yeah it's a funny old time isn't it when you because when you record a record there is inevitably a gap between you recording the record and the record coming out and if you're a linear thinker like you're done with the record like it's recorded it's in the can but it's it might be months before it comes out and you know, it's, it must be a really interesting space to be in. Oh yeah. It's can be uncomfortable and, and just, I mean, it's often uh, all it, it, it's, it's out of your hands or the decisions that you make are, are wise and, and you're doing all the things that, that, you know, reflect uh, um, whatever's happening at the time and, and, and all, all of that's good, but yeah, it's, it's, it can be, incredibly uncomfortable because it's you're ready to to move on but it's but you gotta wait and you know all that stuff but uh but we made the right decision we we did wait and to put it out at this time and and it was absolutely absolutely the right thing to do well it's a great record i've very much enjoyed listening to it and i've very much enjoyed talking to you about it i hope it does really well for you and i hope you enjoy the tour um but it's been it's been great chatting to you. I've had a great time.
Uh, this has been wonderful. Thank you. I uh, really enjoyed it. Bluegrass Jamalong is proud to be sponsored by Collins Guitars and Mandolins, making some of the finest guitars and mandolins in the world since the 1970s. Visit collinsguitars.com and find out why.